pivot. The buzzword of 2020 has carried over to 2021. And for restaurants, this has meant bringing our food, drinks, and hospitality to the homes of our guests rather than our dining rooms. It's been a bit of a minefield for all of us, trying to navigate this foreign territory of deliveries. Well, say hello to your new best friend, Slurp. Slurp was created by JP then, the man behind Crosstown. And with his team, Slurp wants to help your business get across town. See what I did there? And into the mouths of people across the UK. Slurp is the leading e-commerce site that was built specifically for hospitality businesses, for operators, by operators, turning your website and social channels into slick online stores, making it easy for you to turn a profit. Slurp has grown rapidly during the pandemic, which means its launch period has happened with real life events, real life operators, making it easy for them to look at solutions and make your online business the best. Slurp allows you to have a fully customized checkout experience, complete control of delivery, instant payouts, live menu editing, delivery partners or use of your own fleet, national or local delivery, pre-order option, on-demand or pickup. All data is yours to keep, plus bolt-on order management software and their new service, digital marketing, to help you push those online sales through the roof. To find out more, head to www.slurp.com. The future is uncertain, but one thing we know is at home is here to stay. Let Slurp help get your business home. Okay, so are you ready? Yes. Yeah. Cool. We trust you. Coffee? We We don't trust ourselves, but we trust you. (laughs) I'm so glad that you trust me. Hello, my name is Natalia Ribby, founder of LOR and a little restaurant in Margate called Barletta. And I'm Jane Wilton, freelance content creator for ladies of restaurants as well as various restaurants in Wales and Manchester and my own side project, Bold Magazine. This is the LOR podcast, a weekly show shining a bright light on the incredible people doing amazing things in and around the world of food, drink and then some. Each week, we'll interview someone who has a great story to share about their work in our industry. We really want to showcase the varied professions available in hospitality and how you might start as one thing and end up as another. Oh, how there isn't always a degree you can or need to achieve. And there are so many lessons to be learned from working in hospitality. With a little more time, read a lot more time, on our hands in lockdown, we've started recording these sessions via Zoom, making our sound a bit less Michelin star and perhaps a bit more Bib Gourmand. Nevertheless, we hope you enjoy listening. Service! The first time I met today's guests, I left our lunch elated. I had met two people who really got it, it being this crazy world of hospitality. I felt so giddy and I thought to myself, I have to be friends with them. Thankfully, my overzealous nature didn't scare them off and they've agreed to today's podcast so long as I obey the other rules of the restraining order. Just kidding. (laughs) Between them, they have over 40 years experience working alongside some of the most legendary operators in the industry. I'm talking about Jeremy King, Chris Corbin, and Richard Caring, to name a few. They've opened restaurants in London, New York, and LA. I'm talking big, huge properties, as in they were headhunted by Nick Jones and his empire of Soho houses to open his West Hollywood property. And even though we work in one of the most mentally and physically demanding industries, which can really test your patience, 
They remain two of the kindest, nicest, and most fun people I have ever met. They now run their own consultancy group, Montana Fog, helping restaurants or hotels find their footing, make improvements, or sometimes face the harsh reality that it might be time to throw in the serviette and walk away from the past. They are also part of the very cool operation residency, pairing vacant venues with emerging food and drink concepts. Laura is a straight talking, no bullshit kind of person who I'm kind of sad I didn't get to work under in my younger years. And Seb's gentle way of delivering the truth would even make me feel okay if he said my restaurant needed some work. So please welcome to the show, Laura Montana and Seb Fogg. Wow. I want to meet these people. <laughs> you no are those people. I want you to be my agent. <laughs> Thank you so much for, you know, taking time to speak to us. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of yours, which hopefully came across in your intro. But just in general, how are you doing? I know that's a loaded question these days. Yeah. Well, we're probably struggling like everybody, you know, hanging on by our fingertips. But we're getting there and there's light at the end of, end of the tunnel. Hey, Seb? Yeah, I think, firstly, thank you for that over-generous introduction. And we mutual in our admiration for you as a human being and LOR, um, which I, I'm a massive fan of, even though I'm, you know, an MOR. Um, <laughs> You're an ally. An ally. Okay, I like that. Yeah, obviously, the first thing that happened in March last year was whenever a business hits, uh, hits any sort of trouble, they cut the PR and they cut the consultants. The first two things that happen, it's classic. And actually, if you look back in history, the reality is businesses that don't do that are the ones that survive and then thrive through difficult times, recessions, etc. But hey, it's all right. And so it was kind of tumbleweed. Um, we, what, we kept one client the whole way through, which is a, a wonderful client called Crown Estate, Her Majesty the Queen, who we haven't met. <laughs> and then last week, the week before was really fucking shit. It was like down, even Mr. Positive, that's me, who sees the best in everything was really, I found it really difficult. Then last week, some people in the States called us about work. Some people in, the, in London called us about different, like four or five different opportunities. They're not clients yet. And actually one became a client and put an invoice in for work to be done. So it was like, okay, yeah, I know it, it's incredible. So. Yeah, it's been, it's like the same for everyone. Listen, we're really lucky. We've managed to, to hold on. We got the bounce back loan, which kept us alive. This, this, otherwise we'd be, well, you know, kicked, got rid of the car, downsized, all of these things that lots of people have had to do. One of my big questions, which I guess we'll just dive right in. The UK, we obviously were here, has been highly criticized as to how we've handled the pandemic. And particularly our industry has been highly critical of how the government has treated the hospitality industry. What's your view on it? And do you think that we're the worst off of all of Europe? There is absolutely zero real interest in this industry or respect for this industry. I think probably the chancellor or any chancellor understands what they get in terms of VAT and PAYE and all those things. But politicians, they're not interested. They don't care. They've showed every single step of the way they've showed it. They've blamed us. They've blamed Eat Out to help out. We were the scapegoats, basically, I think. Really easy, smack them in the face. You know, that's fine. You know, if you look at France, I think Macron and his government paid 25% of their previous year's turnover to try and help them get through. And the Germans, I mean, the Germans managed to open up much faster than, than we did. 
they've respected those industries. It goes back to the massive issue in this country and in the States. In the States, it's a classic, I'm an actor, but, or I'm a waiter, but, I'm an actor, screenwriter, producer, but, 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 but. It's not a career. If you go to every single European country, working in this industry is a respected and valued career. Profession. Profession, sorry. Yeah. And it's been like that, it, you know, it's almost has a, a stigma attached to it in this country. And I remember even as a kid being a waiter while I was studying, it was like looked down upon, you know, and you was always trying to get out of that industry, you know, to do something else because it was never respected. And obviously it wasn't until you got confident in yourself as a person and respected that, well, actually, I really, really enjoy this. And there is a career in this. And you could see this uh, industry growing. Back in the day, no one wanted to be a waiter. Very, very few people who were British that, that were waiters and waitresses, right? Yeah, and I think that that's what people need to hear is, I guess, the, the, the leaps and bounds that have been made, you know, over the last... 20 30 years in our industry that that you know feeling of being in a stopgap job in 2021 it still exists in this country and in america it's getting less so but yeah definitely still sticks do you think that's a cultural thing because obviously in france and i think spain and italy eating is such such a huge part of their culture and you know long lunch eating family and friends i don't know whether it's uh, something that's like top down heavy from from the government and how they treat the industry or if it's just more of a cultural thing that we don't have that here i think there's an element of culture and it comes from the class system um which whether you like it or not is a reality in this country and the rich people have enjoyed restaurants whether in hotels in the sort of 1800s onwards to the massive the huge uh, langens brasserie which is probably one of the big landmark restaurants of its time that then spawned places we worked in, Caprice, Ivy, blah, blah, blah. Normal people, the regular people, go to the pub, they go to the pie shop, they go to the pie and eel shop in the east end of London. Restaurants aren't, it's not the same thing. The gathering place was the pub. And that's why, as we're coming out of this, what you're hearing about is when can pubs reopen? It's all we care about. We don't give, you know, restaurants, we're very exclusive. Restaurants have become much more uh, egalitarian. Peter Boiseau, who died last year, the year before, created Peter Express. My auntie, Susan, and my mum, Julia, Susan was the, the manager and my mum was the waiter in the first ever Peter Express mm. in like 1960, whatever, in Vigo Street. <laughs> they, they made it restaurants accessible, but it's a class thing. That's why we're, when's the pub open? When can we go to a pub? I give a fuck where you go. I want to go to Maison Francois, Spring, Kitty Fisher's, 34. That's where I want to go. Pubs are nice. I want to go to Maison Francois too. Oh, it's, it's amazing! The best new opening of the last five years. Wait. Yeah. Well, actually, this is a great. Then this is a great segue because so um, notoriously, Seb and I disagree on on wine choices because I love natural, funky stuff, and Seb likes more of le classique. Well, wines that you can actually drink. Oh, lol. <laughs> what I wanted to ask both of you is obviously, you know, you've seen so much change in our industry. I guess, what are some of the things that you think have been so positive to change in our industry? And what are some things that are we used to do that we don't do anymore that you wish like, oh, I wish we still did that? Mm. I think a positive, a positive move is towards <laughs> neighborhood restaurants, which never existed 
15 years ago. Um, I suppose you, you'd have your local Chinese, your local Indian and your local Italian. And that was it. Um, and then if you wanted to have some really, really amazing like destination food kind of thing, you had to go to the West End. You know, it didn't matter if you lived in Chelsea or it didn't matter if you lived in Stoke Newington, you still had to go to the West End for a good dinner. That doesn't exist anymore. You can stay local and you've got a plethora of amazing uh, venues to choose from. It's like the, the New York model, right? You know, you could go anywhere and eat. And I think that's a really positive move in, in London and Manchester and, and cities that you can stay within the area that you live in and eat really, really well. Um, that's that's nice. I think I'm, yeah, I'm funny, I'm just chuckling to myself mentally that it's really good that we don't shout and swear at each other anymore. OK, it's great. And actually, two people we work for, Jeremy King, Chris Corbyn, that you mentioned with the Caprice Ivan Sheik is in the, in the 90s. They didn't want that to be the way it was, because that's the way it was. It was what they learned. Jeremy was a major at Joe Allen. Chris was a waiter than a, a manager at Langens. And you were spoken down to, you were sworn out. It was quite physical in the kitchen. And they said, when they did their restaurant, we're not having any of this. And so I'm really lucky that, you know, from 97, when I started at the Ivy, for the next sort of nine years, and then after that, you, you didn't experience it. But what you did experience was very straight talking. One day I was walking past the table and the customer sort of put their hand up, Sunday lunch. No, it wasn't Sunday. It must've been a Friday lunch. Put the hand up and I, I put my hand up too going, I'll be right with you. And I went into the still room, which is where you make coffee and wash it. And the general manager, Mitchell Everard, who's probably my, my greatest mentor who passed a couple of years ago, walked into the still room and he, put, he didn't put me up at the gates of the wall, but he put his finger on my chest. He said, Seth, who the fuck do you think you are? That's the customer. There is no one else but the customer. Without the customer, you've got no job, no money, blah, 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 blah. So get the fuck back in there and fucking, you know, give them some respect. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> but, oh my God, I never, ever did that again. It stayed with me. I'm telling you something that's from probably 1998. And I can remember the time, I remember what I was wearing. I was wearing a Chef de Rong uniform. I, I remember everything about it and I went straight back to that table. I'm, I'm really sorry. So yes, ugh, straight to, we can't speak to people like that and we shouldn't be allowed to speak like that. I do miss that. I do, <laughs> I definitely um, felt like I feel like I was part of the tail end of when it was still lots of yelling. And, you know, especially like working in New York, you know, just yelling all the time. And I feel like it definitely made me who I am today, but I definitely, don't behave like that to my staff because no, you I don't, can't. I don't want to. Like, I don't, I feel like I'm a dinosaur, but I, you know, I sort of miss an element of the straight talking. But of course, yeah. you have to, you swear at a bus driver, they stop the bus, they call the cops. You know, that's it. Game over. And that's the way it should be. But I just, I miss that sort of element of straight talking, I guess. I do. I, do. I'm, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I feel that too. But yeah. But we found that difference in between New York and LA. So when we opened the monkey bar, the training regime was very different. The waiters are incentivized because if they don't know the menu, the wine list, the cocktails, the table. They're not making any money. Yes. Um, and they were straight talking and you can have honest conversations with them. Always respectful, but honest conversations. Los Angeles, oh my God, it was like little flowers. You know, don't don't push them too hard. Except for all the runners and the bus boys, you know, they, they worked as hard as... as, as 
and anywhere but the labor laws in in california are so strict you step out of line you're going to get a lawsuit and here you know we don't have that litigious culture so and it was cool. quite interesting because we'd literally just got off into new york with a london or uk attitude in our heads and literally just coming from the ivy both of us and then landing in new york and we realized very very quickly that you really have to adjust the way you speak to people and that was a huge learning curve for us and actually it helped us for when we came back to say well actually there are different ways of getting your team to work for you because we grew up in a culture where you were told to do something and you just did it you didn't ask why you just did it but nowadays you you need to explain the reasoning behind it to to let the team understand the whole reasoning behind what you're saying um and that didn't exist in our day and that's a good that's a really positive move absolutely yeah i think it's a good learning curve also that you just described that it's different hospitality culture in different cities you know that the way you treat a guest in london is different to a guest in new york is different to a guest in la because like i and even in manchester like i know i've been traveling with ladies of restaurants how i talk to people in manchester or edinburgh london is totally different yeah what was your favorite city to work in new york city there's no there's no other it's the great great and carter who's our boss said you know you need to understand this is the greatest city in the world London's brilliant, LA, blah, 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 Manchester, whatever. But New York is New York. If you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. You know, what helped was opening a restaurant where the owner's the editor of Vanity Fair at the time. Yeah. And the other owner owns the Sunset Tower Hotel in Los Angeles. They're like the most connected people yeah. in New York. Yeah. He <laughs> used to do the seating plan, basically. He used to call up every day and give you your seating plan in terms of what guests were sitting where. In so the booths. In the booths. Yeah. So you can imagine J-Lo, De Niro, Al Pacino, you know, it was like, that was your seating plan. But at the same time, you need that flexibility to move people to turntables and make money. You couldn't move them, but you had to like, go, oh my God, right, what are we going to do? Can we slip? Can we slip for guessing and get them in and in and out in an hour? You know, Al Pacino's going to arrive. Oh my God! You know, it's just like, <laughs> like J Lo. Can we wrap this up in twenty minutes? Yeah. Also, visit New York, man. It's the city that everybody knows, even if they've never been there, because they've watched the movies. Whichever part of the world you live in, you know, it's like these kids in. You know, you go to a village in Lesotho somewhere. They've got a Beckham T-shirt. Huh? You know, New York has that iconic. Love I mean, it. we worked seven days a week, more or less 16 hour days for about a year. And it was like, you, you just felt special in New York. And I don't know if it's because you, we knew we were only going to be there for a year. Mm. I don't know. It's because I had a Cockney accent and I would just, <laughs> I could just get away with anything. Yeah, definitely. Anything in the restaurant, I could get away with anything. And they would just... Even if I was serious, they'd go, oh, you know, they'd do anything. It was an incredible experience. Incredible. I'm going to disagree with you on that. It's the greatest city in the world, but that's maybe a debate for another day. Oh, wow. <laughs> Leave that hanging. I just think London is the greatest city in the world, but hey-ho. London is a, is a more beautiful city. It's got more greenery. It's gentler. I just feel like New York has changed so much too. 
like doesn't have some of its chutzpah, you know, that, yeah. it, that it used to have. Like when you were there, I feel like it was like the heyday. I mean, Monkey Bar and all those great restaurants and like Tribeca was booming and like, you know, it was just 90s, early 2000s. Oh. I feel like that was just good decades everywhere. You're like, we're all just nostalgic for the 90s. I feel so nostalgic these days. <laughs> Probably just because I'm locked in my house. Anyway, yes, that would be the same here. All right. Well, we've talked a lot about the past, but what about the future? I mean, we're going through this crazy pandemic right now. How do you think it's going to look coming back, coming out of lockdown for us here in the UK? I think it's going to be tough simply because those independent restaurants have, have, have had to obviously put everyone on furlough. They haven't had really much help with the rent so okay we've had this monitorium but they've had to make their own deals with the landlords some deals they haven't been made so we don't really know what the reality is when we come out they're still going to have debt they're still going to have rent arrears we don't really know how much of a bloodbath it's going to be in terms of who's going to survive this and so that's quite scary in terms of demand I think the Average guests, they absolutely cannot wait to get back to just enjoying going out again. Um, I really believe that in terms of speaking to people, speaking to very big corporations. Um, we saw that. So the two weeks in December, I know about four different businesses that broke every record they had the first mm-hmm. week and then smashed it the second week. A, a, a 40 cover restaurant doing 80 grand. I mean, we, in Margate, we had these small restaurants that were saying that it was like summer all the time. Every week was like a summer, like peak, peak summertime down here. Do you think people respect the industry more, having missed going out to restaurants so much in lockdown? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think also they're respecting the food and the provenance and how it's prepared and what you actually get as a dish because I think people have had much more time on their hands being at home, having more time to cook, buy boxes from their local restaurants and basically they've had more time to really analyse what they're putting into their bodies which before I think in our industry we, we push that message but the consumer was was not always there to take that up but I think now this last year there's definitely been a huge focus in terms of what people are eating and drinking so yes and respecting that some different companies have sent out pay it forward vouchers and stuff and for their loyal fans and they'll I think I've, I've got no worries about the future of hospitality right so people want to be together we all want to be together we've proved that every single time there's been a recession or a a war or whatever it hasn't stopped people wanting to come together that's what humans do i think the ones that survive have got the cash to survive and get through this are going to do are going to do really well i think the bottom of the the market is is recession proof i have to go to hern bay every week not far from where natalia is the drive-through mcdonald's i drive past because you couldn't pay me to go to mcdonald's i'm a snob but it's fine fuck me this 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 Tens of cars there. Whatever time of day I go past, morning, afternoon, is making a difference. That part of the market's fine. That middle part of the market, Prezzo, Byron, all that stuff that just became private equity funded, fueled uh, growth businesses with no soul, that's done. 
yeah. which is brilliant because you know what that means? The two guys that came to me separately who I've known over the years with restaurant concepts and can you help me just put this together? They're the ones who are going to get take advantage of these failed sites. Mm -hmm. and we have to walk in there with minimal decor, you know, with working kitchens and ovens and all this sort of stuff and be able to fire up without the 400 or 300 pound per square foot cost of fitting out a shell site, which is mm -hmm. sort of what you'd expect to do at a mid-market level. And the guys at the very top, the cream, they'll be fine if they can survive because it, it doesn't matter how big you are. We never know how much cash someone's got in their bank account. Yeah. Trade is amazing. I'm look at me, but you don't know <laughs> what what the reality is, and we'll find out soon. I think. What's going to be the most important thing for restaurants to do? Hospitality. It, it was missed that whole that 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 <clears throat> that middle section I talked about. It was about upselling. It was about turning tables. It was the last thing anyone at Prezzo was ever taught. Sorry, I'm not picking on Prezzo, I'm using it as an example. Or what Pizza Express became was, what's their name? Where do they come from? Where do they live? Hospitality, it's the reason we go back. I'll give you two choices, Jane, you can go to the new super hit, cool restaurant in the Northern Quarter of Manchester, or you can go to that local neighborhood place, Hale, where they know your name and you've got to take someone really important in your life I know where I go. I go to the place that I know my name. It's really simple. It's, it's not just an ego thing. It's a comfort <clears throat> thing. My expectations are, are, are managed. I'm looked after. It's what, I, it's what I want to do. It's weird as consultants. The last thing we ever really want to do is go to a new restaurant. <laughs> we just want to go to the places that we love. Yeah. And it's always because they know your name. They don't give you free stuff. I don't want free stuff. It's never about that. It's, it's about... Maybe looked after. Yeah. I actually, I don't know who I was talking to about this. Maybe it was Laura when we talked to Laura Lee on our podcast um, about like going out to dinner uh, could sometimes feel like a bit stressful because like, you know what they're doing wrong, especially when you go to like a new restaurant, like you can't like actually enjoy yourself because you're like, oh, I miss that. I miss that. Oh, someone picked that up. There's hot food on the, in the window. <laughs> so you're right. Like, I think it's about going to the places that you trust, you know, I'm the same way. I'm definitely a creature of habit and that hospitality, recognizing your regular guests. I was saying to Jackson, my partner, about how we need to really maximize using our reservation system this year about, you know, putting in those guest notes, you know, when people have had a bad time that we remember that, that we don't seat them at table seven because they hate it, you know, that they have an allergy to nuts or whatever it is, like really make sure that we're seeing every single guest who walks through our door because like that, general manager said to you, you know, we don't have a job and we don't exist without the guests. And that also might be a good thing that's come to it. Part of the cutback mentality of driving profit over everything else uh, was to get rid of the, the, the maitre d', which Natalia and, and us worked with, you know, that was, that was our upbringing. Nowadays, it's a host, male or female, doesn't make any difference. Sit there, hello, have you got a reservation? Right, yeah, over there, your table's over there. They might not take your coat, they don't care. We've de-skilled the position and we just want someone who looks on brand, whatever your brand is. I don't to think it's that they don't people. care. I, I just think that it's, it, it, you know, they've got a computer in front of them and they haven't been trained. No, the business doesn't care, sorry. Not, not the, right, the okay, host. I'm fine. not blaming the host. They're, they're, they're not taught. They're I not think trained. it's become a wage cost that people just think isn't important. And I, I completely disagree. And it's actually... Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't call it an argument, but maybe a disagreement that Jackson and I have on time from time to time, because um, we have it on 
on ladies of restaurants, we believe that the first and the last moments of when a guest is in the restaurant are the most important. So why would you not want to make that first moment so impressionable with a fantastic maitre d' who, you know, remembers your name, remembers what table you like to sit at and takes your coat or asks you at least if you want to leave your coat. Um, but I want to talk about, you know, you both have a wealth of experience in this industry. Now you're consultants. And I think that that word can get thrown, thrown around a lot these days. And sometimes it actually maybe instills a little bit of fear in people. They're like, oh God, what's the consultant? They're going to charge me loads of money and they might not help me. So tell us about what you do. What does it mean to be a consultant in hospitality? The way we've come about being consultants is, and, and what we've realized is, is we do things instinctively, right? In our industry, once you've gone through your whole experience, you will end up doing things instinctively. And, you know, you'll get to a certain age where you've got this huge amount of experience stored within you. So, and being a consultant is basically releasing that experience to certain situations, helping small clients, large clients uh, realize a vision that they have. And I suppose you're the in-between or the go-between between the client who's got this incredible vision and you are the apparatus to make that vision function and work because maybe their vision is not necessarily going to work. So you have to tweak it. So all your experience comes out and you'll tweak it, whether it's financials, whether it's the concept, whether it's the location, whether it's the kitchen design, floor plan, et cetera, et cetera. And you help them realize their vision. Does that explain it? <laughs> no, 100%. Can I hire you? We get shit done. That's, that's what we're employed to do. And yeah consultant everyone hates the word and is immediately comes with some sort of amount of money that they can't afford mm. you know and actually quite a few quite a few times in the last few years we've said to people listen the last thing you need is a consultant you've got a great concept this you've got that actually go and speak to that person over there who isn't a consultant and they'll help you and there are other people who use you as you're like a business therapist so typically you're employed by the, the head of the operation, whatever that is, usually the owner or the CEO or whatever. They can't talk to anyone at their level. They can only talk down to the next level below them and below them. The, what ends up is you, you, we're all living in echo chambers and you tend to be hearing stuff that they think you want to hear. And our job is to never do that. Our job is just to be honest, always respectful, but just be honest. Tell them what they might not want to hear, but that's your job. On the basis that you're only going to be there for a short period of time, which is one of the great negatives of being a consultant, is you never get that building a team, etc. You have to speak truth to power, the power within that organisation. And it can be, listen, guys, you, you've opened this. It's a wrong location. It's all a wish you'd come and spoken to us a year ago. Um, but you've got to make it work. So you have to have a can-do attitude. We've all worked with people before who could go, yeah, but our job is to go, no, no. This is what you do. This is a, we've got a problem. We need to fix that problem. We get the, bring their team together and try and help them go through that. But the therapy element is the bit I found that that's always a constant. And I quite enjoy that anyway. <laughs> Having been in therapy myself, I, I understand the value. Of it, you know? I feel like that there's such a value in that though, that everyone should have a business therapist, especially in hospitality. I mean, 
you know, the overheads and the just the financial side, the pressure of this industry can be so, so straining. Like I've seen it with a lot of my friends, particularly through the pandemic. I think they would have benefited from having someone to just unload onto that maybe could have said to them like, uh, actually, it's going to be okay and you're doing the right thing or actually stop doing takeaway because that's a waste of your money. So one thing I did during the pandemic is I've started volunteering, something I'll continue to do. Everyone wants to monetize everything, but we all need to pay our rents and our mortgages, okay? I get that. But once you've got to that point, the other thing I've taught, giving my great big Ford Ranger back, which it didn't break my heart, I didn't care. I was paying huge amounts of money every month. I bought a 23-year-old Volkswagen Golf. I've never been happier because I didn't need that. So partly, you know, putting your money into your ISA or and whatever. And I needed a stepladder to actually get. I bet. <laughs> so it's what do we need? And instead of trying to monetize every minute of your day, look at what can you give back? We have something called the Thought Partner Program where our patrons um, can submit a thought, a problem, a question, anything. And then either, you know, we're, we'll answer it if we can and if not then we'll pass it on to someone who best can and actually i've got some a question that i can't answer that you definitely can so watch out it might come into your inbox shortly (laughs) anytime you know that well now is the time we like to ask our silly questions what's been your like go-to food that's seen you through lockdown i say mine's toast about six slices a day <laughs> like everyone, I got into making bread. It's been baking basically. So bread, cakes, bagels. Oh, bagels. Anything pastry or bread, uh, definitely. It's happy hour and you go to fix yourself a drink. What's on the menu? Oh God, I'm so boring. I just like a glass of champagne or cover. Because if I drink cocktails, I get I get really silly and drunk. <laughs> like two sips and that's it it used to be quite fun because when I worked like places like Sexy Fish I always used to go to the cocktail tasting at five and I'd have two sips and that would get me through the whole evening you know I'd be so happy and charming so I used to make them do cocktail tastings every day after that excellent Uh, I made some slow gin, well, made. I picked the slows and did them and over three months. And slow gin spagliato. Oh! Off the charts. Oh, my gosh, I'm definitely going to make that. <laughs> what do you think the next food trend is going to be? Oh, there's an avo- oh, avocado. So an, an ethically sourced avocado. There's an avocado restaurant in Covent Garden called Avafuck or whatever it's called. Uh, there's another one. I don't one. think it's called Avo Fuck. That's a great name. What the Avo? Uh, Avo, Avo, go fuck yourself. Uh, sorry. Avo Lardo. Sorry, Natalia said to me before the, in the preamble, like swearing's okay. I apologise. And, <laughs> and there's another company that t- claims they're ethically sourced avocados. So it's like, okay, there you go. There's your food trend. Yeah, yeah I think there was a, also there was a a survey done and I can't for the life of me remember who that was but they said it was about food trends they were saying well actually are people going to go back to that sort of experiential destination Mm. in terms of restaurant or are they going to go back to their favorites or places that they trust and they love the the latter was what they were going for is that a new trend I don't know 
What about just on the trend thing? Obviously through lockdown, the pivots have landed everyone making these in making these boxes. Do you think that they're, they're here to stay these finish and feast and finish at home and dish yeah, patch? I think, I, th- I think they are. So I even see it going further in, ter- in terms of, well, you go to your supermarket or farm shop and you've got a cabinet and that cabinet is full of 20 different restaurants, boxes to go. Yeah, I think it's going to become part of the mix. Someone said to me that they thought restaurants, so West End restaurants or big city centre restaurants would, might end up being more like theatres where it's an experience. We don't go every week. Um, we go every month. But when we go, we really go for it. Yeah. Um, I really hope she's wrong. If she's I hope so too. When do you think um, restaurants will reopen in the United Kingdom? What's your guess? We got Put a fiver on it. Cool. End of April, okay. June, July. You go in June, July. Jane, what's, what's your bet? I mean, in Manchester or anywhere else, we've never came out of lockdown, to be honest. So it's true. true. <laughs> Maybe like May, I think. Okay, we're going with May. Yeah, I'm going last May bank holiday. That's my guess. First week yeah. of June. It's going to be a good bank holiday. Okay, whoever wins the bet buys the first round of drinks. No problem. No problem. Can't <laughs> I'm there. Um, this has been an absolute joy, an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for sharing all of your incredible intelligence in our crazy industry thank you you guys rock what an honor oh with such an honor to talk to you (laughs) you have been listening to the lor podcast please like and subscribe if you'd like to hear more about ladies of restaurants head to our website www.ladiesofrestaurants.com or check us out on instagram at ladies of restaurants where we will fill your feed with upcoming events news delicious food, and of course, lots of lulls. This podcast has been made possible by Slurp, edited by Grace Campling, an original track by Peter Van Housen.